I'm thrilled as our text this morning brings us to a very important theme of friendships and relationships, a topic that we don't often get to address, but it is so vital that we do so. I'm really excited about it. And on this Super Bowl Sunday, I have not three, not four, but five points today. Some of you are like, I don't even know what's happening, but they're mercifully succinct. We're in this series called Fully Alive, exploring how the gospel brings personal, cultural, and relational renewal, and it is vital that we address the theme of community and of friendships, for it's a theme that is presented to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 through 9. We're given a snapshot into the relational world of the Apostle Paul. I'd love to read the text And then we'll pray together and we'll invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not only made a way for us to be forgiven through Jesus, but you have made a way for us to be friends. You have made a way for us to be in relationship with you. And it is in that relationship with you that we could experience redemption and strength and encouragement in our relationships with one another. So Father, we pray and ask this morning as we hear your word that you would open our hearts, that we would experience wisdom, guidance, perhaps even healing for our relationships. I pray that we would value what you value in the way in which we interact with one another. I pray that through it all, that we would be encouraged, convicted, and strengthened today by your spirit. And for those who 
do not yet know you, whether they're in this room or outside or joining us online, we pray that today they would understand what you have done for them in Jesus, and that they too would believe. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings, C.S. Lewis, author of Chronicles of Narnia, and others belonged to a legendary group of writers called the Inklings. And they met frequently in an Oxford pub for pints, pipes, and prose. They were not only teachers and authors, they were friends. In fact, some of them became known as apologists for friendship. For they argued that friendship has actually been devalued or underappreciated in modern times. Just to give you a warning, I'm quoting C.S. Lewis twice today, and I'm not apologizing. He writes on this, to the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all the loves, the crown of life, and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. It is something quite marginal, not a main course in life's banquet, a diversion, something that fills up the chinks of one's time. I suppose a question to ask is, how have we come to this place? Why is it that deep friendship has been underappreciated? Well, I suppose before we get into the text, there are several reasons for that. One reason could be that we believe as a culture and in our modern world that for a relationship to be really deep and really meaningful, it has to be romantic. See, what I've noticed and experienced in our culture is there's this incredible pressure to sexualize almost everything. So much so that it is hard for many people to believe that a relationship could be rich and meaningful without romance. And thus, if you are single, well, you just have to settle for half meaningful relationships. It's why people are just shocked and appalled that you would just remain single. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. But the Bible tells us otherwise, which is good news on this day before Valentine's Day. When you read scripture, I am in awe, I am blown away that some of the most moving accounts of strength and depth and affection in relationships is found in friendships, found in the context of community. Which leads to another reason for the underappreciation of friendship. It's rarely experienced. If we're honest this morning, our relationships tend to be spread so far that they tend to be very thin. We're so busy, there's often little trust and little commitment, which might be fine for the short run. It might even be easier and entertaining. You just get together when the game is on or the event happens. But in the long run, it leaves you lonely or perhaps even toxic. And I suppose maybe there's a third reason why friendship has been underappreciated. 
because there might be, in some, an unwillingness to do the work. Friendships take work. Yes, it is costly to be real, invested, and open. But here's the thing. The less real your relationships, the less rich your life will be. And the remedy for toxic relationships or even transient friendships is trustworthy relationships, true relationships. So what does that look like? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 gives us a description. And as we dive in, I suppose there's a few caveats that I want to, to make, very practical. Number one, if you are married, you should think of your spouse in this beautiful category of friendship. Now, for some of you, that might not need to be said. You're like, my spouse is my bestie, and you're like, oh, which is awesome. But sadly, for some marriages, they tend to forget that like your spouse can literally be your best friend. That's not just a cliche thing that you post on your Instagram once a year on your anniversary, like my best friend. Like it's true. So think of your spouse when you think of this theme of friendship. Second caveat, very important. There are going to be varying degrees of friendship. Not every friendship, especially that you find in the church, is going to have the same amount of investment in time or depth or even length. I say this so you don't show up to your community group this week being like, hi, everyone, you will all be my best friend. Just settle down. There's going to be varying degrees of friendship. I suppose there's a third caveat. There are many different types of friendships that we can experience in the world, but what we're thinking about today is what we find in 1 Thessalonians 3, spiritual friendship, as the title says, friendships that are made possible by the gospel. 1 Thessalonians has actually been called a classic on friendship. It's not a theme that the Christian often thinks of when you come to the book of 1 Thessalonians, but it is there. And in this passage, we have Paul's words to this new church in Thessalonica, and in it we find models of community, a model of friendship, the kind that faith makes possible. And as we go through these, these points, I want us to ask two questions. Are we inviting these qualities into our lives when it comes to our relationships? And are we offering these qualities when it comes to our friendships and relationships? So here's what we learn about spiritual friendships as described in 1 Thessalonians. The first is this, friends make sacrifices. When we come to Scripture's understanding of friendship and spiritual friendship, the first thing that stands out is that friends make sacrifices. Paul, we learn, was concerned about this community, and for good reason. After several months of being with them in their city in the beginning of this church, he had been forced to leave due to persecution and opposition against his preaching, and they were left alone without assistance when he had been driven out of town. So naturally, he was concerned, but so much so that, notice, he was willing to be without support so that they might have support. Look at verse 1. So, he writes, when we could stand it no longer, 
We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, and we sent Timothy. This was a costly move on Paul's part. Timothy, after all, was his fellow worker and friend. It meant that Paul would have to continue on his ministry without him. But the worth outweighed the cost to himself. He knew these men and women that he developed a relationship with in Thessalonica. He knew that they were in need and he was willing to pay the price. Friends make sacrifices. I suppose we need to ask, do we have people in our lives like this who are willing to make sacrifices for our good? It's an important question because sadly in our culture, the opposite is usually true. People tend to sacrifice others for the benefit of themselves. It's essentially a transactional friendship. Hey, we're going to be friends as long as it's fun for me. The minute it's not fun for me, you're out. Like you're gone. Like we can have fun together, but that's it. And the moment maybe you speak a hard truth to me or maybe tell me something that I don't want to hear, but I need to hear, the moment it gets even difficult, like you're done. We are no longer friends anymore. Sadly, in our hyper-individualistic age, friendship often gets sacrificed instead of making sacrifices for the friends. They basically drop you when you are not fun. I suppose many of us have experienced that firsthand. Or, conversely, are you like this? Are you the one who drops others the minute that things are no longer entertaining? Do you understand that the relationships around you within your community and specifically your, your friendships will involve sacrifice? See, what we need to do and what the Bible makes very clear is we need to turn what we often call fair weather friends into all weather friends. We learn about this specifically in the book of Proverbs, which is a book full of great wisdom about many aspects of life, but one of the prominent themes that often goes unnoticed in this beautiful Old Testament book of Proverbs is the theme of friendship. And this proverb in particular is famous. Proverbs 17 says, a friend loves at good times, it says all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. We will face trouble. Have we been keeping up our friendships? Have we been investing in our community in times of blessing so that they are prepared for times of crisis? Are we willing to make the sacrifices necessary? Are we willing to give? Are we willing to invest even at cost to ourselves? When we think of spiritual friendship, friends are willing to make sacrifices for the good of others. But it is important to note that this is not some kind of blind loyalty, which leads to the second mark of spiritual friendship. We learn that friends promote faith. When we look at this relational community of Thessalonians and the relationship that Paul had with them, we learn what really drives their friendship. Friends promote faith. 
Paul's primary concern becomes clear in verse 2 when he says this. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to, underline this, strengthen and encourage you in your faith. What a glorious phrase. Their faith is his chief concern. He actually mentions faith, not only here in verse 2, but also in verse 5, in verse 6, in verse 7, and in verse 10. Clearly, faith is what really drives this friendship. And so, when Timothy is sent to these men and women, his task was to do what? To strengthen and encourage them in their faith. That is, to help them understand their faith and to help them live in light of their faith. This is key because it might be obvious, but it's an important point to make. Friendship is never about the friendship itself. If you make the friendship about the friendship itself, it just gets weird. Right? Like during meet and greet time, can you imagine someone's like, hi, what's your name? Bob. Oh, I'm going to be your friend. You're like, oh, okay, great. What, what should we be friends about? Anything. I'm like, okay, this is feeling a little weird. Or when friendships is, you know, like you notice signs that the friendship is maybe too much about the friendship itself when you get jealous when your friend is hanging out with another friend. It's weird. You call up your friend, you're like, hey, I saw you pre-gaming the Super Bowl on a Saturday night with, what, another friend? I didn't know about this friend. You didn't ask me if you could hang out with this friend. That's weird. It's strange. The friendship is never meant to be about itself. A friendship, a true friendship, is always about something else. The way that the ancient philosophers described it is that lovers were often defined by two people facing one another, but friends were side by side facing something else because they have a shared destination, a shared goal, something else in common that actually marks the friendship. Otherwise, you get this like weird codependent relationship. But instead, spiritual friendship has a focus beyond itself. I warned you, but here's C.S. Lewis again. He says, the very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must be about something, even if it were only enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. I've always wondered if that gives us a window of insight into the hobbies of C.S. Lewis, but I don't know. The point is the strongest of friendships always have a shared focus, a shared direction, a destination that you journey towards together. So instead of codependency, spiritual friendship is about God dependency. That's why Timothy went to encourage and strengthen them in their faith. Because it is faith in God, this mutual trust in God that binds people together at the deepest level. So when Paul writes to these men and women, when he thinks about Timothy, he knows that friendship their friendship is not a random fact of life. 
It's actually connected to the ultimate goal of life, which is knowing and loving God. The philosopher Aristotle once said that friendship, he described, was a single soul dwelling in two bodies. I think he was close, but not fully correct. Because what we see in the Bible is that deepest friendship is always three. The deepest friendship is always three. And we see this exemplified in one of the most famous friendships in the Bible, the friendship between Jonathan and King David. In this short description, it says, Jonathan, in 1 Samuel 23, went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Jonathan and David also said elsewhere, may the Lord be between you and me. Because the deepest of friendships is always three. God is at the center. And we are to strengthen and encourage one another in our faith. Or to put it another way, we are to cheer one another on in our faith. Because I say that because in many ways, that's what the word encourage means. It means to kind of cheer you on, to put courage in their hearts by helping them pay attention to God. Do our friendships, do our relationships help us pay attention to God? Are we helping others pay attention to God? I can say that I'm so thankful for some of the friendships in my life. Even this last week, I called several friends. I was just like an emotional wreck. And I called them, not only to be able to share that with them, but I knew what they were going to do. They were going to point me to God. They were going to help me pay attention to God. Friends, this is a great vision for your relationships, your friendships as you join your community groups this week if you're involved in a community group here in our church or if you're going to meet a friend for coffee as you're on your way there, as you're driving in the car, you could say, God, help me to help them pay attention to you. That may be through a verse, a sharing of a resource, through praying for them, praying over them, whatever it might be, we have this shared focus. We're to strengthen and encourage one another in our faith. We do that by helping people pay attention to God. You and I, let's be honest, we need people around us who are going to help you get to the finish line. There's going to be all kinds of relationships in my life. Some are going to require more sacrifice than others, but I definitely need relationships in my life who are cheering me on in my faith, helping me pay attention to God. But likewise, I also need to take the responsibility on myself to help others pay attention to God. I need to cheer them on, if you will. May God help us to become this type of friend, this type of person. It is vital for us, just as it was vital for the readers of this letter, because there was a good chance that their trials and their difficulties might convince them to abandon their faith. And so we learn a third mark of spiritual friendship. Friends make sacrifices, friends promote faith, but thirdly, friends bring perspective. We need people in our lives, relationships in our lives, who help bring perspective. 
the urgency of this support mission that we read about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, where Timothy is sent to the Thessalonian church, is due in part to the troubles that these men and women were facing. We know they were facing trials, though we know very little about the nature of the trials. But regardless, there was a real danger that their faith and thus their lives would become unsettled. And so Timothy, what does he do? He comes to strengthen and encourage them in their faith and give them much needed perspective on their life, much needed perspective on their suffering. That's what we find in verses three to five. We sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, verse three, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. No doubt there was a great temptation for the Thessalonian men and women to think of their troubles as being something that were strange. Or maybe there was something wrong with their, their faith. Who knows what they thought? But Paul sends Timothy to give them much needed perspective that their trials, they're not a matter of chance or of luck or of karma or of fate. They needed this perspective, that they are a part of the common and expected experience of Christians across time and space. If you're going to follow Jesus, you will face trials. If you're going to follow Jesus, you will face persecution. If you're going to follow Jesus, there will be trouble. Read the Bible. It's very, very clear. And so Paul is sending Timothy to give them perspective. Hey, lest you think some strange thing is happening here, I'm just going to remind you of what I told you and what you are now experiencing so that you can put your current troubles in perspective with what Scripture says. And by contrast, actually, these troubles that you're facing, the persecution you're facing for your faith, they actually become a sign, albeit a very painful sign, that you are genuine in your faith, that you are actually a part of God's people. So the perspective they needed was that the experience of these trials can actually strengthen faith when viewed in right perspective. Paul feared that they might be deceived, tempted, he says in verse 5. And we all know that we can be particularly vulnerable in seasons of suffering. Many of us respond to trials and difficulties in different ways. I respond to trials and difficulties in certain ways. For some of us, when things get tough, our tendency can be to withdraw. We shut down. We don't reply to any texts. We don't return the phone calls. We might even become distant from our spouse. Some of us in times of trial, we isolate. I think it's important, if that's you, to be honest about that this morning with yourself and before God saying, yeah, I isolate. I just push people away. When I'm suffering or I'm struggling, I just push people away for a variety of reasons. I just keep them at arm's length. 
But if that's you, as I know I've had my own tendencies to do that in trying times, know that Proverbs also says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise counsel. It is not good for us to be alone. In fact, that's exactly where the enemy would have you, an isolated target, away from the pack, away from the herd, easier to pick out. It is not good for us to be alone. You and I, we need the perspective and encouragement of true friends who will help us see what we are not seeing. Notice the language there. Paul says, I kept telling you, I kept telling you, I kept reminding you, which highlights the need we have for being reminded by other people. And oh, how I need that in my life. This last week on those phone calls as I reached out, I was being reminded of things. Yes, I already knew them. I might have even taught on these topics before, but I needed to be reminded of these truths in that moment. Lest I isolate and lose sight. Are you being surrounded with people who will remind you? Are you being that person to others who will remind them in their time of need? I mean, this is so important. We need that perspective. This is what Paul did when he was with them. It is what Timothy was sent to do. He was concerned that they would be deceived. It is not good to be alone. We need the perspective of others, and friends in the faith can give it. And so you can imagine Paul's relief when Timothy returns and he gives this good report that actually leads to a fourth sign of spiritual friendship. Friends celebrate growth. Of all the things that we could celebrate in our relationship, of all the things that we could celebrate in our friendships, We are to celebrate growth. Timothy returns with this good news that the Thessalonian believers are not merely surviving, they're actually thriving. Moreover, their thoughts of Paul were actually positive, not negative, which refutes the lie that Paul didn't care, the rumor that Paul didn't care. He mentions that in verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and he has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Beautiful. But some clarification is needed. It wasn't merely that Paul cared about how he was, how he was perceived by the Thessalonian men and women. What he cared about was whether or not they were believing rumors about him and lies about him that were simply not true. When Paul was forced out of town due due to persecution, other people who were enemies of the gospel circulated these rumors saying, Paul doesn't care about you. He's not a good leader. He's not a good member of your community. They were simply not true. That's what Paul cares about. But what does he celebrate here? He celebrates what he sees in them. He celebrates their growth in truth and in love. See, here is what is so unique about friendship from the perspective of Scripture. 
You could have a friend with all the success in the world, the money, the career path, even the health. But if their faith is shriveling, you grieve for them. That's what's unique about friendship from the perspective of faith. Your friend could have all these things going well, like my job is better than it's ever been. I've been getting paid more than I ever have. My health is better than it's ever been, but I'm not really walking with Jesus. And your response isn't like, ah, it's like three out of four. That's pretty good. As if Jesus were like a little part of your pie chart and you're like, well, as long as the other things are fine, it's okay if you're not growing in your faith. No. The unique thing about spiritual friendship is even if everything else is going good in life, but your faith is shriveling as a true friend, you actually grieve. You're like, hey, it's great that your career is going good and that you've got money and health, but I'm like grieving for you because the most important thing is lacking. But here's what's encouraging. The reverse is also true. Your friend's circumstance could be hard, full of difficulty and adversity. Maybe the money is not coming in. The job is not going well. Their health is not good. But if you see that they are growing in their faith in the midst of it, you always have something to celebrate. And what a beautiful thing it is to celebrate growth in the life of another man or a woman in Christ whenever you see it. And I would just encourage us, church, we need to do this all the more. I don't think anyone in this church can be encouraged too much. Usually when we see growth in in the life of another person, we just assume they already saw it and so we don't mention anything. Oh, good, they're growing. Nice. I don't need to say anything. But nobody's ever been like over-encouraged as long as it's done in truth. Make it a point this week to reach out to people that you know and say, hey, you just went through a difficult time. I know your work was hard. I know that the money is tight, but I just want to encourage you that what I saw in you in the midst of adversity is that you grew in your faith, and I want to note that. I want to mark it, and I want to celebrate it right now. Friends, we need to do this. That's what happened when I was on the phone with my friends the other week. I was just you know, I was expressing my heart, sharing my, my concerns. They were not only giving me perspective, but two of my friends, they actually pointed out areas of growth, and I didn't realize how badly I needed it until I started weeping over the phone, which is so embarrassing to admit, but I'm just going to do it anyway. <laughs> it was just this little like, hey, Tim, I just, I know it's hard, but I just want to say, I've seen you grow in this area. And I was like, <laughs> I was like weeping. Why? Because I wasn't seeing it. I wasn't seeing it in my own life. And their celebration of it was like so encouraging for me. Not in any kind of like self-focused kind of way, but God, you are at work in my life. I mean, listen, we celebrate so many things in life. Like somebody got a raise at their job, let's throw a party. What if you threw like a spiritual encouragement party? Like, Oh my goodness, they grew in their faith. Guys, we're having a dinner party. Come over. They matured. Get a cake. Put three candles on it. Faith, hope, and love. Just put maturity. Blow the candles out. You grew. What if we celebrated growth? Well, it would come from valuing the right things. Though we often celebrate our friends' circumstances if they're going well, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
do we also, and more importantly, celebrate spiritual growth? Practically, this could be as simple as making a big deal out of their answered prayers. Maybe they've prayed for you or you've been praying for them and God answered their prayers and you just want to reach out. And just as much as it's important for us to ask for prayer, it is also important for us to give a good report when God answers prayers. Can I get an amen? This is so vital. Saying, hey, I just want to celebrate together that God heard your prayer. Look at what God did in your life. Or practically, it could mean being deliberate about taking note when your friends respond to times of trial. This is so important that we do this in our relationships. And you know what happens as a result? You will be encouraged in your own faith, which leads to the fifth and final mark of spiritual friendship. Friends share joy. Notice Paul's relationship to these Thessalonian men and women. He is relieved that they are relieved. He finds his joy in their joy. He is encouraged because they are encouraged. Because of this good report, Paul himself experienced renewed strength. Look at what he says in verses 7 through 9. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. See, it's a universal truth that companionship always deepens joy, right? You, you can enjoy good food, but isn't it better when somebody else is there to enjoy it with you? The irony is I did visit that famous pub in Oxford, the Eagle and Child. Gotta love British pub names. And as I was there, I was so stoked to be there. And then I realized in the middle of the Eagle and Child as I was eating my bangers and mash, as you do in England, that I was ironically alone. I was like, oh, this pub is so cool, Tolkien and Lewis, and I'm alone <laughs> by myself, not enjoying it as much as I thought. There's something about companionship and friendship that actually deepens joy, like, like sharing your favorite film with another person, right? Like we all might love that film, but when you share it with another, you get excited, you like watch how they react to different scenes. Conversely, we all know how sad it is when you share a film with someone you love and they don't dig it the way you did. I will never forget, it's a deep wound for me, when I showed Star Wars to my children. I was thrilled. I was like, girls, a part of your spiritual formation is Star Wars. And I put it on, I'm all ready, I'm like, you know, setting the scene, I'm like, New Hope 4, don't be concerned, because there's like a backstory, or whatever, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Ten minutes in, they're like, this is dumb. Like, you can't say that, Chewbacca. <laughs> I was so sad. I wanted to share my joy and their joy, and they were having it, and we turned it off after 15 minutes. I was like, wait until the scene with Darth Vader. Okay, they're out, they're done. But oh, when you share something that they share, or like many of you are going to watch a team, 
Whatever team that is, there's no God-approved team that will play today or win. Whatever team that is, if it's the winning team, you will no doubt share your joy together and look at each other. You're like, yes! Friends, how much more true is this of Christian joy? When other people are growing in joy, you're like, you're growing in joy. That gives me joy. So I actually increase my own joy by making sacrifices and investing in the relationships around me by increasing their joy. That's what Paul understood. That's what he knew. He wasn't rejoicing just because they were loyal to Paul. That wasn't loyalty that mainly concerned him. It was their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. He says, since you are standing firm in the Lord. Paul's thanksgiving in these verses is an expression of his own relief. And notices, notice how he finishes in verse 9. How can God be repaid for such joy. Paul uses here the language of repayment, which is fascinating for two reasons. It's fascinating first because the language of repayment, the language that Paul is using here, was widely used in that ancient culture of friendship. Because friendships in that world view, the Greek-Roman culture, were about very often repayment. Like, I've got your back, you've got my back. So that kind of language, what can I repay you, is a statement that was often used amongst friendships, so much so that it actually really defined friendships. Like, if I pay you, you pay me, how can we repay one another for your friendship? But there's two surprises in the way that Paul uses that familiar language of repayment in the context of friendship. There's two surprises to the way that he uses it here. First, he doesn't use repayment language between him and the Thessalonians. He actually uses it between him and God. But there's another surprising reason that when he does... It is a surprise because, of course, God cannot be repaid for his friendship with us. And this is actually what brings us to the very heart of the gospel. And it reveals the source of all true friendship. And that is friendship with Jesus Christ. A friendship for which he paid. A friendship which he can never be repaid for. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, so concerned for you, so concerned for your soul, your eternal well-being, that he came willingly into this world and sacrificed himself for you. He laid down his life for you. Because on the cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus was willing at infinite cost to himself, to lose the comfort of heaven and pay the price that our sin deserved when he died on the cross in our place so that you and I could be brought to life, so that you and I could be restored into a relationship with God. And now, Jesus is alive. And the resurrected Jesus is actually cheering you on 
right now as you run the race of faith. And so the words that I find so beautiful, so compelling, so utterly like nothing else you'll find in the world are the words of Jesus hours before he was crucified to his disciples in John 15. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus said these words to a group of men who were literally hours away from betraying him. And yet Jesus still laid down his life for them. He still laid down his life for us. Even though we would be the unfaithful friend, Jesus is the forever faithful friend. Church, make Jesus your first friend and all other friendships will be shaped by him. Put your greatest expectations on him and not on others because all other friends, even friends within the church, will let you down. But Jesus will never let you down. The friends that you have let down may not always be gracious and forgiving with you and your failures, but Jesus is the only friend that says, no matter how many times you sin against me, I will always forgive you because I paid for every single one. Other friends may not be there in your time of suffering and pain, but Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It's friendship with Jesus that makes all other friendships possible. When our friends let us down, when we let them down, when they're a burden, and they're just like, man, my friend's such a bummer right now. And just I'm having to like meet all their needs. Remember what Christ has done for you. We can only love because he first loved us. We can become good friends as we experience his friendship with us. We can love imperfect people because he is our perfect friend. And he is a fulfillment perfectly of all these qualities. He made the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. Jesus brings the eternal perspective that we need to every circumstance. Jesus is quite literally the object of your faith. He cheers you on and celebrates your growth. And he is the source of your joy. Jesus truly wants what is best for you. And he ensures that this will happen. He's the friend who comforts us. He guides us. He heals us. He hears us. He transforms us. He's the friend we've never had. He's the friend that we don't deserve. And he's the friend who will always be faithful and true. And he celebrates every increment of growth in your life. And he gives you the power to experience it. Church, make him your first friend for the healing you need in your marriage or with your other friendships or the friends who are weighing you down right now or maybe your isolation and your loneliness, the answer first and foremost is for us to celebrate the friendship we have with Jesus because it's only there that we will find the healing and the strength we need for all other relationships. Let's start there. 
Father, we do pray right now for those who have experienced difficulty in their relationships. In many ways, God, just our relational world can just be a mess at times. Maybe others aren't being a good friend to us or we're not being good friends to them. I thank you that in this moment we can come to you, our true and faithful friend. Like the hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. And we will experience your strength, your comfort, your presence, your forgiveness, your power. And so I pray that we would start there this morning, that we'd bring our lives to you, our relationships with you, and experience your grace, experience your goodness as our faithful and perfect Savior friend. I pray that the result would be wisdom. I pray the result would be healing. I pray the result would be encouragement. As we confess our sin and our need to you. And Father, I pray for anyone in this room or joining us online who has never put their faith and their trust in you or for those who have perhaps walked away from you in these last few years. I don't know what's in their mind, Lord. Maybe they think there's no way they could be friends with God, and yet today you want to make it so clear to them that because of the cross and because of the resurrection, because of the empty tomb, there is a way to be forgiven and friends with God. I pray that they would make that decision this morning to put their faith and their trust in you and experience forgiveness and new life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, in this moment before we get on to the activities of the day, the busyness of our weeks, the distractions, I invite you to make Jesus your first friend today by sharing with him, opening yourself up to him. You can come and pray this morning. There are men and women to my right, to my left. They'll be up here in a moment where in the prayer lanyards, I invite you to come up. And in the same way that you might find a friend and you just maybe need to pour out your heart. Maybe you need wisdom for those relationships. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you need guidance. Maybe some of us just need perspective this morning. I invite you to push your way past the people in the rows and just come up and pray. Say, God, you are my forever friend and I need perspective and we're coming together and we're gonna pray together and invite the Holy Spirit to move. Watch what he will do. And I invite you this morning, I'm calling you to, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, to come and take communion this morning. A moment where we remember our friendship with Christ came at the ultimate sacrifice to himself. We can confess all of our sin, our unfaithfulness, our burdens, our hurts, our wounds, we can come forward and as we take the bread and drink the cup, we remember his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. We remember that we are fully forgiven, we are fully accepted. I invite you to do that this morning and to sing and to draw near to him. We have the carpets down here, you can come, you can get on your knees, you can lift your hands and just press into the presence of God this morning. Celebrate him as our glorious redeemer and our faithful friend. I invite you to do that and not let this moment pass by us, but experience the healing that he wants to bring. Let's do that now.